0: Hi everyone, I'm Alice from the Postdoctoral Development Center at Queen's University Belfast. Welcome to the Theory of the Postdoc Evolution podcast. In this episode number 14, you'll hear a career interview that was carried out in April 2021 by Suhad Dadu, a postdoc in Queen's School of Pharmacy. Her guest was Dr. Mary Maramateri who talked about drug regulation and her role as a pharmaceutical assessor in the Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency. Enjoy!
1: Welcome everybody, I want to welcome first our guest, Dr. Mary. Uh, she works as a pharmaceutical assessor in the MHRA and she holds as well a position as a collaborating academic staff in uh, Frederick University in Cyprus. Uh, Dr. Marie did her PhD in UCL University and she has a postdoc experience in the University of Greenwich where I obtained my PhD. Unfortunately, we didn't meet there. We have a mutual friend. I met her in a career exploration event that was organized by the Royal Society of Chemistry. So welcome Marie. how are you doing?
2: I'm good. Uh, Thank you very much for the invitation. It's a pleasure to to discuss with you today. And thank you for organizing this event. Yeah, thank you
1: for joining, guys. So, I think you are the first uh, guest that we have that work in a regulatory body. So, I think audience are interested to, if you can talk us through more about your role and what a typical day at work looks like.
2: Yes, of course. Um, So, I'm a pharmaceutical assessor in the licensing division of the MHRA of the Medicines Healthcare Regulatory Agency of the National Competent Authority for the UK and Northern Ireland. I won't describe exactly a typical day because it differs, but also now with the pandemic is quite different from the before pandemic period. But um as as an assessor, as a pharmaceutical assessor, we get like the the dossier of a drug product before it enters the market. Um, The majority of times these medicinal products are generic, but also there are innovative and new medicines and new drug substances. So this dossier is like shared in five categories, Um, some administration documents, then a summary document, and then quality parts, non-clinical parts and, and clinical parts. And as a pharmaceutical assessor, we, we assess these initial applications for the quality of the drug substance, quality of the drug product. And also sometimes we deal with um, the clinical part if it is a bio-waiver or a bioequivalent study. And also with the product information in collaboration with the medical assessors, but also the product information and the labeling of the product. But as it like we do this and we produce our reports, but like we do this in collaboration with a, an assessment team uh, that has, as I said, the majority of times has also a medical assessor, uh, a non-clinical assessor that looks the toxicological parts, um, and also some compliance assessors. Also, we uh, what we have to assess is. Um, uh, post-approval changes but they are called variations. Um, for example, they can be um, this type of changes from very small, like change of a uh, packaging site to quite big, for example, change for uh, um, from dry granulation to wet granulation. And you have to ensure that the performance and the quality and of the product is not impacted by this change. Also, we have meetings with colleagues and our managers. Also, we participate in what is called scientific advice meetings. Um, These meetings can be uh, because companies would like to request like or to ask some questions on their development before submitting and you can guide them on how to do so. Or it can be even like um, um, scientific uh, advice meetings for uh, uh, promising innovative medicines if they will like um, let's say a, a, a drug a drug product is applying is is in development and applies for a new um, a new indication or like recently we had a drug product that wanted to to apply for an indication on uh, a moderate to severe plaque psoriasis so you have to, to decide if this is an innovative medicine um, and if it can take this uh, indication Um, Also, some of our work is like, um, um, apart from the scientific part, there is like all all of these reports and everything happening in, in a database of the agency. So you spend some time in more procedural works, like ensuring uploading your documents, ensuring that the database is up to date and has consistent information. Uh, you communicate with the applicants uh, via mainly email or TCs uh, when you deal with their uh, assessments. And also, um, in the case that in, while you do your assessment, you have identified uh, major objections like potential risks to public health. You, you raise major objections that they need to be endorsed by a committee of experts. And so we have two committees. Uh, the committee of uh, pharmacy and standards where the pharmaceutical assessors go and like uh, many academic seats on board and also hospital pharmacists so they have to endorse your assessment prior to sending it out and having these major objections because if the major objections are not addressed properly this means that the drug product would not take its marketing authorization application so also like okay participating in training and I think this is here important that initially when you like when I entered and I think like you enter as a non accredited pharmaceutical assessor, meaning that your work is um, is also checked by a, a more senior member of the staff and then depends on like your performance on your progress. You can be accredited in one to two years and then be more independent on your assessments i have to say that this was really nice in the beginning the the training that the agency provides on these uh, accreditation is is uh, is really good so in the beginning when you enter you have a very good uh, at least one year of kind of a quite structured training program
1: okay Sounds interesting, a lot of work to do, a lot of decisions to make. So who make the final decision of approval for the drug or for dossier, from those dossiers that you talked about?
2: Uh, like if uh, there are only uh, some minor uh, points of concern, uh, then you send request for further information. And then uh, like, OK, all the parts like both the quality, the clinical, the non-clinical have to be approved. So yeah. it is not one smart job, like everyone has, every assessor has to approve their part. Uh, but if they requ- the responses in the request of information are acceptable, then um, it, it goes to the compliance stage and it gets approved. But if there are major objections, then it goes to committees, replies, come back. If they are acceptable, they, again, they take their marketing authorization, if not, the majority of times they withdraw themselves okay. the application.
1: Okay, so which part of this job you find most challenging and which part you enjoy the most? Um, I think the most challenging, I find sometimes
2: delivering the deadlines mm-hmm. because we have some deadlines for the assessment. And this means that it requires a, like good organization skills. And also what I find maybe hard because I, as you said, I come from a, Academic background. I find it quite hard to keep abreast of some legal requirements, like the, the like, apart, like so apart from the scientific and also regulatory part. That the regulatory part, I would say, is quite scientific informed. Uh, apart from this part, there are some uh, legal changes that is good to keep abreast of. Uh, for example changes in the directives uh, when one directive comes into action and also now with the Brexit and the pandemic uh, you know there is more on this so this I would say is the more challenging part Um, the most uh, enjoying part it is that I think you feel satisfied because you contribute to public health Um, you help like uh, drug products to reach people quicker or by raising points, you try to ensure that the drug process will be improved. So, for example, issues with patient compliance or um, uh, some defaults won't won't take place. Um, And I think this is especially, like, finds application now during the pandemic, you know, with the vaccine, but also, with the effort of the agency to ensure that the supply chain continues. I think also it is interesting because you, um, especially in my team, we assess a variety of dosage forms, and because my PhD was on pulmonary drug delivery, I find it very interesting to that I work with inhalation products like dry powder inhalers, and I see some devices and some drug products before they reach the market. It's quite nice also to give scientific advice because you look look the research of people, uh, all the development work, and uh, what I find very um, interesting and I enjoy it. Is that you work as part of the team and like you work with other people and like the medical assessors that they are medics uh, or non-clinical assessors, and I think you constantly learn. Uh, but also what oh, the same applies with the committees. But also what it maybe it links me more with my with the pharmacy undergrad, like the more clinical part and pharmacy practice part, um, not only like pharmaceutical technology, that was my, my area, but more of
1: the of the big picture. You know. OK, nice. Uh, I think some people will be interested to know if you need to be a registered pharmacist in the UK in order to join the MHRA. Uh, this depends
2: on the role. I went to a a recent job description that MHRA had put for pharmaceutical assessors, and one of the requirements was you have to hold a degree in pharmacy and registration with the GPHC or be eligible to be registered with the GPHC through equivalent registration body for pharmacies in another European uh, EU country, Mm -hmm. um, European Union country. it depends on the role, and there are other roles. For example, up to now, to be a pharmaceutical assessor in the licensing division, yes, you need to be registered as a GPHC, in, with the GPHC. But, like, for example, quality assessors in the biologic unit, that they have done the majority of work now with the vaccine, uh, they don't need to be pharmacists. They can have, uh, they have some expertise and background in biomedical sciences and biologics also to be a non-clinical assessor um, you don't need to be a pharmacist you can be a toxicologist biological sciences but have some experience with uh, you know mutagenicity genotoxicity like have some experience with the. Uh, or or also there are some some positions not as many as a pharmaceutical assessor, but some position for statistics assessor if you do medical statistics and also pharmacokinetic assessors if you do pharmacokinetics and in these jobs um, in this post, you don't need to be uh, G- registered with the GPHC. But uh, I would recommend someone that's a pharmacist to, to get registered with the GPHC. I think the um, the benefit is kind of bigger than the the, the the small cost you have to pay every year. And and when you enter the the MHRA, MHRA covers this cost for you. There is also as part of the MHRA. Um, the National Institute of Biological Standards uh, that is in Potter's Bar, mm-hmm. um, and there there are much more experimental and research roles for, uh, um, and even there are PhD students. Uh, they are working with uh, vaccines, finding the strength of vaccines, or now doing the uh, the quality control of vaccines. So if
1: this is part of the MHRA as well. Okay. Thank you for that. Okay. Are there other qualifications? For example, is it uh, required to have a PhD or other, for example, skills that you need to have to uh, secure a job as a pharmaceutical assessor?
2: Um, no, it is not required to have a PhD, though a few of my colleagues do have a PhD um, or have, like, we even have a colleague that has worked in academia previously. We had two colleagues. Um, I, I again took a from this job description, it says have significant and extensive experience in at least one of the following areas, regulatory affairs, research and development, or manufacture or quality control of medicinal products within academia, the pharmaceutical industry, or hospital pharmacy. So, okay. And I have to say that we have colleagues from all these areas, both academia, pharmaceutical industry and hospital pharmacy.
1: Okay, thank you for that. Uh, okay, can you tell us now what made you leave academia and decide to work as a pharmaceutical assessor?
2: Well, I think like what made me leave academia, I was I was thinking this question yesterday. I, I think there are, I can approach this question in two ways. The the one I had like when I did my PhD in UCL. I had a really, really nice experience. I loved research. It was with UCL and Glaxo. so I have a very nice supervisor, Professor Kevin Taylor. And I really had independence. When I moved in my postdoc, it didn't, like, some things like, didn't work out. Maybe it was a place, my expectations, but also, I that moment, I, I couldn't enjoy it as much. But I really liked science, I liked research. and then. I looked what other people that we did together PhD have done you know and uh then I many of my friends were in the MHRA uh and former colleagues uh so I said yes why not to try this this role uh, and it's in also it was in London it is a quite a stable role and also it, in the beginning they provide you this training that mm-hmm. it is kind of a continuation of the studies and the other way I would approach it, I was thinking is I think the majority of the people would would not have to leave academia, but I guess I guess the pr- probabilities are that people you know you study and then you like it is like a pyramid. not all the people will stay in in academia. Yeah. so now I see back. I don't know it's not that something will happen to leave academia. I think it's also, but outside, there are so many jobs, and you can find. But also, like um, you may have to move somewhere else, and then somewhere else. And it depends if there is a role open or not. Yeah.
1: So, can you consider coming back to academia, or?
2: Um, yeah. I, I would yes, I would consider it. And like, but also, I like what I have now. Maybe a collaboration with academia, mm-hmm. some teaching. As the, I found it very satisfying. And also, like some more regulatory informed science, uh, um, okay, not working in a lab. I cannot do it here with with my current job. but um, there are there are other topics that you can we can work with. I think also there are like, for example, three d printing products. What will be the regulations, the requirements in general, or like now there is this issue with nitrosamines. Um, uh sardans. i like the the issues that in this job you have to deal with um they they have a scientific background
1: yeah, yeah. Okay, now I think uh, some of PhD students or that are towards finishing their studies or for example, postdocs, th- toward the end of their contract may st- uh, start getting anxious about finding a job. So can we know how many uh, roles you applied before until you get successful one? For example, how long they should apply before just to have you know a few for this?
2: I didn't apply to many roles beforehand. Because I was already in a in a postdoc, yeah. um, it was like it was maybe I applied to a role in an, in the industry and then to to M H R A. So I didn't apply to many to many roles. But but I, I guess this this depends on the person, on the time, on, yeah. on, on everything. Sure.
1: Okay. Uh, how important is uh, the CV and the cover letter to uh, land a job in the MHRA? So, how much uh, does it help you?
2: I think they are they are important. The PhD and everything you can you can show that you have critical thinking, you know, or like good written skills. But also for MHRA, what I wanted to say also this is for the interview part of the MHRA mm-hmm. and uh, to help like. As you asked me before, to how many you apply, I think for a major you have to prepare a bit before applying so mm-hmm. for the interview. So it is not so much of a when you apply, not not a lot, not something uh, and, and all the knowledge you have like people have now is is and especially they come from the pharmacy background, It is you kind of touch up on them or you learn a bit of more the more the regul- how regulation fits with them. But I, I would say it's not an interview that they ask you, for example, what have you done in je- – like this will be in the introduction of the interview. Yeah. Then the questions are more how would you approach things that will happen in, in the job later and also your translational uh, skills, yeah. uh, transferable skills. So I think it needs a bit of preparation. For example, someone to be, have a look and familiarize themselves with the – International Conference on Harmonization guidelines sure. um, uh, and things, things like that.
1: So they ask like questions, scientific questions or regulatory questions.
2: Yes, they do. No. They do, and and also you have a, a small written test, uh, like a 40 minutes one. Of course, from time to time these things change, but um, they, for example, in in our case, they gave us some uh, dissolution results. For a modified release, so you 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 have to, Interpret. to draw some conclusions. Yeah. Not not that it is like one specific answer, but to show that you kind of you managed to see all the results and draw some conclusions, something like that.
1: Okay. So what uh, uh, are the main difference between your interview for academic position and for this MHRa position?
2: Also, okay for the. Academic one, okay, I had one for my PhD and then one for the postdoc. Okay, the postdoc was on a specific project. I think, okay, I think on the academic interviews, they ask you more to give examples on how you have managed things or uh, what your research, your previous research was about or how the research you've done applies to the new role. While in the MHRA, it was more as I tell you, a written assessment, and uh, of course, they are interested in your previous background and everything, but it is more if you fit this specific role.
1: Yeah. Okay. Now, someone might ask uh, how important it was to have a network, for example, to find a job or in your career development in general?
2: Um, It is is very important. I will, like, an example of this, I, I mentioned it before, I had a colleague, a previous colleague and friend from when I doing my PhD that was already in the MHRA. So when the um, application, when I did my application, you know, I asked him to give me his views, if he likes the job, how is the working uh, culture and the atmosphere. So I think it's very good to to be open with people. Yes, because also I think, the I, I remember I had when I was a PhD student, I went to a careers event and they said that, you know, 70 percent of the roles are not are not advertised. They are internally taken. This mm-hmm. this is not the case in the MHRA. Everything is publicly advertised. But it is really important to, to have a, a good network. Even I think in LinkedIn, being linked with people, you may see some some more uh, job offers, job opportunities. So so I think it is It is really important. And the majority of times people are very happy to help. This is what I have uh, uh, realized.
1: Okay, how frequent is the recruitment process
2: in the NHRA? Um, It depends. What I would recommend you to do and what I had done, it is to register to the MSRA's job portal uh, and uh, describe what types of jobs or what types of qualifications you have and you would be interested in and then you will get automatic uh, renewals now also the agency is like changing its size and shape so this depends depends a lot Um, but uh, I would definitely recommend you to to register to the MHRA uh, job portal
1: Okay. Okay. Do you have a piece of advice that uh, was given to you by someone that you want to share with the audience that was helpful for you, for example? Mm,
2: Yes. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Like, uh, like as I said before, one advice would be find out information about the place and Mm. the people you are going to work with. Uh, The working culture, the colleagues, they are they are really important. They they make a huge difference in your everyday life and and I think while this is how I find it in myself you know everyone is different but I think while the content of the job is very is, is of course important I think the people you work with and the conditions are equally important and also sometimes if like, okay the job is on this like uh, on drug delivery to the skin or pulmonary drug delivery it doesn't make so much difference you already have the skills, and you've done postdocs and you've done PhDs. You have the skills to approach these issues. So I think it's important to to find information uh, about the places. Also, I would say be open to changes, like keep learning and development and developing, and keep be open to changes is because I was in academia as well, and when you are that back there, when I was back there, I was thinking that maybe lecturers position or in research. But I think there are so many interesting things out there or like to link your uh, knowledge with more like, as I said, clinical pharmacy, regulatory. So I thought that I wouldn't like the current job, but 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 there is always things to learn and. and also learn from your colleagues that they are medics that they are toxicologists so so i think be open and don't don't think that you only like one thing because if you don't try other things you you won't know that you like them something, yeah. something like that and then also find a job that makes you feel satisfied and i think find what satisfies you and what in the end of the day you feel You like doing it and you may have offered to society or in general. Something that,
1: yes. Yeah, I do agree because I think we spend most of our time uh, at work, so we need work that we feel satisfied and we enjoy doing it. Yes, of course. Yeah, sure. So that was me. So thank you for joining us, Marie. This was really very useful. Thank you very much for inviting me. It was
2: a
0: pleasure.
1: Yeah, it was a pleasure as well. Thank you.
0: We don't often hear about regulatory roles, while they are essential to any kind of translated science and can bring a lot of satisfaction, as Mary just described. Another important point she made, I think, is the fact that a career and a job is not just about the role, but also about the environment in which you work, your colleagues and the support you receive to develop yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Have a look for more on go.qub.ac.uk slash podcast
2: pdc.